You're listening to the LMC Radio Network, broadcasting out of Forestville, California, on the World Wide Web at LuckyMojo.com. The views and opinions expressed by Professor Porterfield do not necessarily reflect the views of the sponsors or their affiliates. Texas, where the stars at night are big and bright, it's the Now You Know Show with Professor Charles Porterfield, here to tell it like it was and how it is to help school you so no one can fool you, brought to you by the good folks at the Lucky Mojo Curio Company in beautiful Forestville, California, and online at luckymojo.com. So now, without further ado, here's Professor Porterfield. Good evening to you one and all. I am Professor Charles Porterfield, and hoodoo is my business. Welcome once again to the Now You Know Show. Well, folks, it was a race in to get everything up and running tonight. We had a few little uh, minor technical glitches on our side here, but everything appears to be running smoothly, and we're going to hope that it uh, continues along that line smoothly. Well, it's so good to talk to you again, folks. Uh, Before we go any further into the show, I want to take a brief moment to uh, say thank you to each and every one of you who sent uh, such kind wishes and uh, and lovely thoughts uh, to me and my family this last week and so while uh, I was sick. But uh, I'm up again and sort of uh, moving about, as it were, and so here we are live. 
Before we go over to the uh, LMC Radio Newsroom tonight, I have a couple of questions that have come through to me uh, in the old mail room, and I want to answer them quickly before you know too much time goes on. Don't want us to get bogged down by it. I've been asked this one question several times now by numerous people, and I, I made a statement about it on the air. Oh, several weeks ago, but apparently the news didn't get around, so I thought I would reiterate it one more time. Yes, we know at this point in time uh, that uh, the presumptive candidates are Donald Trump and uh, Hillary Clinton, and people have been saying since that has happened, oh, Professor Porterfield, we know that you you came out in support of Bernie Sanders, and you've said this, and you've said that, and blah, blah, blah. Who are you going to vote for? Who are you going to vote for, Professor Porterfield? Here is the answer. None of your business. I'm not going to discuss who I am going to vote for. Um, that's just the way it is at this point in time. I'm not going to get into it. it I shouldn't have to get into it uh, as a free citizen with our closed ballots as we have them. I'm not going to discuss it publicly at this juncture. I am going to say this. I will be voting. I still encourage everyone to vote. Vote your conscience. Vote your heart. Vote your brain. Do what you think is best. Go into that polling station. Stand in those lines. Wait in the rain if you've got to. But get in there and vote. And I will close this topic once and for all by simply saying this, not voting, saying that you will not vote, saying that you refuse to vote is in no way revolutionary. I'm sorry. That's just where I'm at. That's not a revolutionary action. That is not a civic action. That is not that you're not you're not doing anything. Okay. So that's that's my final statement on that. Not voting is is not a revolutionary act. It is in fact an act of obscene privilege to say, "Oh, I just I just I just won't work. I just won't I just won't I just won't vote. I just won't participate." So that answers that. Now, the other question I have received from a very kind and regular uh listener who does not wish to be identified. I'm not sure why, because it's a nice question, uh, but I'll, I'll respect that, has asked this. Uh, they write, Professor Porterfield, love the show, long-time listener, have enjoyed many, many episodes. Uh, sometimes I get to listen to them live. If not, I listen to them in the archives, and they are a real treat for me. I have learned so much, and they are so thought-provoking. However, we don't get to hear much about Professor Porterfield, the man. Not the root doctor, not the spiritual practitioner, but the man. And my question for you then, Prof, is this. Who have been some of your influences that have molded you as a broadcaster, as a performer, because it is so clear, those of us listening in our house, that you are an individual of some theatrical uh, talent. And so, all right, I'm going to answer that. Uh, but I'm going to, 
in typical teasing style. I'm not going to answer it all at once. I'm going to answer it over the course of a few weeks. So I will give you uh, one of those answers tonight. And then uh, next week, I'll give you another one and another one because I'm, you know, I could take up a whole show uh, trying to tell you who my influences are. So I will tell you that one of my prime influences in my life as a quote performer, as a broadcaster, as a, a individual who uses his voice to convey information, uh, to titillate, to arouse, to bring about laughter, etc., was none other than Vincent Leonard Price Jr., known to almost all of you as simply as Vincent Price, who was a very well-known American actor, very well-known for his distinctive voice, and of course his numerous performances in horror films, although he had a career that spanned many genres, uh, film noir, drama, uh, mystery, thrillers, comedies. He was an actor on stage, on television, on radio, and in more than 100 films. And Mr. Price was a great influence on me, and he is my number one influence to list. Next week, I'll give you another one. So, see, there's another reason to turn tune in. And uh, he was also, by the way, a very well-known and renowned art collector and a gourmand, an epicurean of great merit, a very fine chef in his own right, as well as a collector uh, and preserver of famous recipes. So there's that little taste uh, of some, one of my influences. Next week, we'll discuss Brother Theodore or Zero Mostel. We'll discuss someone. But now it's time for us to go over to the LMC Radio Newsroom, where we are very pleased to say that <clears throat> Earl Sinclair is with us again. You may have heard him a number of weeks ago. It was his first time on the show, and he's with us again. Mr. Sinclair comes to us uh, from London, England, where he is, uh, or was, I should say, a former newsreader for BBC one. Good evening. This is the LMC Radio News Room with the news, read by Earl Sinclair. Today is Thursday, July 14th, the 196th day of 2016. There are 70 days until autumn begins and 170 days left in the year. The 15th and the 16th will be auspicious days to cut firewood, mow to increase growth, castrate farm animals, dig holes, wean, potty train, wash windows, advertise to sell, travel for pleasure, and kill plant pests. The 15th and the 16th are both barren days in which one should neither plant nor sow. Today's highlight in history comes to us from this date in 1966, when the city of Chicago awoke to the shocking news that eight student nurses had been brutally slain during the night in a Southside dormitory.
Drifter Richard, Richard Speck was convicted of the mass killing and condemned to death, but had his sentence reduced to life in prison, where he died in 1991. Also on this date, in 1789, in an event symbolizing the start of the French Revolution, citizens of Paris stormed the Bastille prison and released the seven prisoners inside. In 1865, the Matterhorn, straddling Italy and Switzerland, was summited as a seven-member rope party led by British climber Edward Wimper reached the peak. Four members of the party fell to their deaths during their descent, Wimper and two guides survived. In 1881, American outlaw William H. Bonney Jr., also known as Billy the Kid, was shot and killed by Sheriff Pat Garrett in Fort Sumner in present-day New Mexico. In 1921, Italian-born anarchists Niccolo Sacco and Bartholomew Vanzetti were convicted in Bedham, Massachusetts, of murdering a shoe company paymaster and his guard. Sacco and Vanzetti were executed six years later. In 1933, all German political parties except the Nazi party were outlawed, and cartoon character Popeye the Sailor Man made his movie debut in Fleischer Studios' animated short Popeye the Sailor. In 1945, Italy formally declared war on Japan, its former Axis partner during World War II. In 1965, the American space probe Mariner 4 flew by Mars, sending back photographs of the Red Planet, and United Nations Ambassador Adelaide E. Stevenson II died in London at age 65. Finally, in 1980, the Republican National Convention opened in Detroit, where nominee apparent Ronald Reagan stated that he and his supporters were determined to, quote, make America great again, end quote. Today's LMC birthday greetings go out to actor Harry Dean Stanton, who is 90. Actress Nancy Olson is 88. Former football player and actor Rosie Greer is 84. Actor Jerry Hauser is 64. Actor Stan Shaw is also 64. Our thought for today comes to us from American folk singer-songwriter Woody Guthrie, born this date in 1912, died in 1967, who said, quote, Life has got a habit of not standing hitched. You've got to ride it like you find it. You've got to change with it. If a day goes by that don't change some of your old notions for new ones, that is just about like trying to milk a dead cow. This has been the news from the LNC Radio Newsroom. And we now turn you to Professor Porterfield and the lucky numbers. Lucky number. Oh, dreaming of lucky numbers. Hoping that those lucky numbers yeah. will show for me. Numbers only show for you and me. Superstition. Or even make me suspicious. Table with 13 dishes. It will make me. That's mommy, yeah? Yeah, man. Well, okay, yeah. 
put my trust in group of dust. Cause you know some may bring you a seven. Or maybe a lucky eleven. Oh, that you be in heaven. Lucky number for me. Yeah. Oh, yes, and you need not just trust in goof or dust like the Nicholas Brothers because we have the lucky numbers for you here each and every week. But before we get to them, we also want to send out a special air birthday greeting to air member Reverend Fred, whose birthday is tomorrow. Happy birthday, Reverend Fred. This week's lucky numbers come to us from ProfessorPorterfield.com. Why not stop on by and take a look? And they are 12, 20, 32, 35, 48, and 54. And I have to tell you that I have a very, very good feeling about these numbers. Once again, those numbers are 12. 20, 32, 35, 48, and 54. Be sure to check them out. This week's lucky three-digit numbers are 245. That's 245. 736. That's 736. And 999. That's 999. And let me tell you, right now, 999 is hot. It will start to slack off some towards Monday. But between now and Monday, it is especially hot, and it will continue to be good until next week. The card of this week is the Jack of Clubs, Jack Bragg, a sibling or companion of light heart or a dark youth. This week, take a moment to check in with your siblings, particularly your younger siblings, if you have any. Avoid pomposity and bragging this week, but don't hide your light under a bushel. Remember, our week runs Thursday to Thursday, so check in with the Now You Know show to get the numbers and cards when they first come out. And if you hit, remember where you get. Till then, good luck to you all. Up next, someone I know you've all been missing from the First and Second Baptist Church of Quimby, Texas, our own Miss Loretta Evans with Cooking with Miss Loretta. I'm a little flustered this week because I can't believe this happened, but the boys got it to me, and they brought this to me on Monday to show me, and I just can't believe it. I actually got a letter, and in this letter that is so sweet, I want to thank you, Chris, uh, for sending this letter to me. You are a darling, and you are so very sweet. We had a special uh, request 
for a recipe if I had it. And uh, I have to tell you that I do indeed have a recipe for the slow cooker. They specifically wanted to know if I had a slow cooker recipe for this, and so I do. So this week's recipe is Salisbury steak for the slow cooker. And this recipe goes together very quickly and does not need a lot of time in the slow cooker. And it's a delicious way to add flavor to ground beef, and I'm sure your kids will love it. The gravy is delightful, served over mashed potatoes. So, And as always, they've asked me to remind y'all that they will post up the uh, ingredients and directions after I'm done. So for this recipe, you will need the following ingredients. Two pounds of lean ground beef. One one ounce envelope of dry onion soup mix. One half a cup Italian seasoned breadcrumbs. One fourth a cup of milk. One fourth cup all purpose flour. Two tablespoons of vegetable oil. Two 10 and 7.75 ounce cans of condensed cream of chicken soup. One one ounce packet of dry au jus mix and three fourths a cup of water. Now, to make this, it's just as easy as pie. In a large bowl, mix together the ground beef, onion soup mix, breadcrumbs, and milk using your hands and shape it into patties. I normally shape this into eight patties, but you might want slightly larger patties. You might want larger patties for a smaller family. You could do four, but I wouldn't do more than eight. Heat the oil in a large skillet over medium-high heat. Dredge the patties in flour just to coat and very quickly brown on both sides in the hot skillet. Place the brown patties into the slow cooker, stacking them alternately like a pyramid. And in a medium bowl, then mix together your cream of chicken soup, au jus mix, and water. Pour it over the meat. And then you're going to cook it on the low setting for four or five hours until the ground beef is well done. Then you can serve it with your favorite vegetable. I like to serve it with uh, kernel corn and mashed potatoes and the leftover uh, juice that you have makes a delightful gravy to go on your mashed potatoes. So I hope you try it. And I never got a letter before. I never, nobody ever, I'm just, I'm just tickled that somebody actually wanted to, do you have a recipe? Yes, I do, darling. And there, that's just for you, Chris. And I hope you and your family enjoy it. Thank you so much. And up next, Professor Porterfield and the pontification. Oh, thank you, Miss Loretta. Wow, that sounds very easy. And I hope you all 
uh, do give it a try. Uh, I, I, I think we will here in our house. Up next, the professor's pontification. This week's topic is the country and the city. Uh, more than a year ago now. 
And we're going to revisit it, but in a slightly different way. Evening involves the growth and expansion of hoodoo. Now, there are a lot of people who have a lot of opinions about hoodoo. I'm one of them. In fact, I think it's pretty hard not to have opinions about hoodoo. Why? Well, again, as I've discussed before, we are a non-initiatory tradition, and we're a non-religious tradition. In that, hoodoo is not itself a religion, although certainly within its context and its frameworks, the average, the normal, the traditional practitioner of hoodoo is primarily a Protestant Christian of some stripe, which is not to say that people of other religions cannot practice hoodoo. I myself am a Jew. There are hoodoo practitioners who are Catholic. There are hoodoo practitioners who are self-described as pagans or neo-pagans. There are no doubt uh, atheistic. And amongst all of these hotly held opinions that people have about hoodoo, one of the popular ones that gets trotted out quite a lot is a sort of romanticism about a rural environment. And it takes a number of different forms. Some people who practice hoodoo are themselves, like myself, from a rural environment, and we just appreciate it. We enjoy it. It was part of our upbringing. It was a part of our childhood. It was part of our families. Some people, on the other hand, have a more political bent about it. They believe that hoodoo, once it left its rural environment, became manipulated and preyed upon by venomous marketeers and other terrible, terrible, terrible people. And primarily they believe that because it satisfies some particular acts that they wish to grind on some particular grinding stone. However, it's just not true. Hoodoo has and is in existence in both the rural and the urban and the suburban environments. That's just a fact. Now, before I go off into this, I want to say something about the positive nature of the rural environment and the skill sets that go with it in relationship to hoodoo. We have come to a time, my dear listeners, or as Dr. Love would say, my most patient patients, where there are people who don't know how to thread a needle anymore. They have no idea how you would milk a cow. They don't, some don't even know where eggs come from. I mean, I don't know how you don't know where an egg comes from, but they don't. And there are certain activities <clears throat> that t- transpire, that go on in the 
ritual, in the performance of hoodoo, if you will, that require some of this knowledge. You understand what I'm trying to say to you? I mean, you should still be able to know how to thread a goddamn needle. All right? You should know how to make a simple stitch. You should know how to tie a, a, a fowler's knot. You should know how to, you know, do these little things, how to wash your own clothes, how to wash yourself, how to clean your house. The problem here is that there has been a misunderstanding. And what's happened is that all of these sorts of common skills, which really are necessary for all of us, have somehow gotten labeled into uh, being rule skills. And that's just not so. Okay, Let me try to lay that out for you. When hoodoo expanded into the urban areas and flowered even in urban environments in cities like Chicago, Baltimore, uh, uh, Washington, New York, uh, San Francisco, Oakland, my, you know, Miami, Atlanta, you name it. <clears throat> the people that practiced it in urban environments, who were living in urban environments, who may have been born in urban environments, who were employed in urban environments, often in activities pretty much only found in urban environments, like, oh, say, taxi cab driver, as an example, still knew how to thread a goddamn needle. They still knew how to wash clothes. They knew how to wash floors. They knew how to replace a pane of glass. They knew how to tie a, a simple knot. They knew how to sew a stitch. Uh, these are not rule skills. These are life skills. These are common life skills. Now, certainly, milking a cow has become a, a, a pretty rule skill at this point in time. There just aren't that many cows in the city anymore. And when there were cows in the city, they were primarily uh, there to be slaughtered for beef, not to be milked. Milk was often brought in from the dairy lands. But People still knew how to cut up a chicken to cook it. People still knew how to do very simplistic butchering in their own home. And I'm again, I'm not talking about, you know, you got a side of beef here and you're going to, oh, that's ribs and that's a steak and that's a porterhouse and that's a T-bone. No, 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 no. I'm talking about simplistic butchering. Okay. And people knew how to cook and people knew how to bake. And all of these were life skills. They're life skills. They're not country skills. They're not, they're not rural skills. They're, they're, they're life skills. And if you're going to practice hoodoo, you're going to need to know some of those skills. And you should have known them already. I'm not trying to judge you, but I'm just saying it's, it really is important. You know? And you're going to find that you know, being able to sew and knowing how to mop a floor correctly – and believe it or not, kiddies, there's a correct and an incorrect way to mop a floor. And I'm not even talking about it in a spiritual sense. I'm just talking about to make the floor clean. You're going to need to know those skills because they're going to become a part of hoodoo. And you're going to have to be 
removed from some of the supposed or perceived modern-day comforts uh, that we think go hand-in-hand with the modern world. Again, not necessarily hand-in-hand with the rural or the urban or suburban world, just the modern world. You're going to have to get your ass up at dawn to do certain kinds of spiritual bathing. You're going to have to actually walk sometimes certain places. You're going to have to actually go certain places and go to cross roads and go to cemeteries and find trees and find running water. You're going to actually have to leave, you know, containers outside to catch rainwater. You're going to have to learn little things because hoodoo a primary part of hoodoo, not the sole part, but a primary part of hoodoo, is certainly centered around the home. And so, of course, the life skills that are involved in caring for a home and caring for a family are involved in hoodoo, because hoodoo is also there to help you care for yourself, care for your family, and care for your house obviously, from a spiritual perspective. And certainly, and I say this unequivocally, hoodoo is far more matriarchal than it is patriarchal. Just a fact. Sorry. There it is. I've said it before. I'm going to keep saying it. And when it changes, if it changes, I'll be the first guy. I'll be the absolute first guy. Come on here and tell you, oh, it's changed. I went to some hoodoo thing, and I was at, there were 100 people there, and 70% of them were guys. And I'll not know what to do with myself, but until then, sorry. There are more female practitioners of hoodoo. There are more women interested in hoodoo. There are more women doing hoodoo. And there are more women passing hoodoo on to their children, their grandchildren, and others than there are men. Which is not to say that there are no men. That would be absurd. I myself happen to be a man. Now, that I've said all that, here is, as uh, Mr. Zappa would say, the crux of the apostrophe. This has developed into a rather shocking attitude, which is that hoodoo is better when it is rural. Hoodoo is better when it's in the country. Hoodoo is better when it is back to the earth. Not that being back to the earth is better, not that having sustainable ways of supporting yourself and your life are better, not that actually having a garden is better. No, 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 no. It makes the hoodoo better. And so now, of course, if you're going to practice hoodoo, oh, you've all got to run out and you've all got to be wild crafters. You've all got to know exactly how to get all these herbs and all these plants in the forest yourself and know what to do with them by yourself. Completely. You've got to know how to, you know, make mineral oil. You've got to know, I mean, you've got to know how to do all this stuff by yourself. And if you don't, then you're just not a very good hoodoo practitioner. And that is 10 pounds of hogwash in a five pound bag because it is confused. I would say to you that it is better that you have those skills, period, that it makes you a fuller human being that it enriches your life and therefore being a better person and having an enriched life and having a better eye towards 
sustainability and an understanding of the environment and a connection to the earth makes you a better person spiritually and therefore, of course, will in the end make you a better hoodooist. But you can be an excellent hoodooist and never set foot on a goddamn farm. Never walk into the woods once. You can be an excellent hoodooist and buy every goddamn thing you ever use from someone else. And to say otherwise is a shocking, shocking slap in the face to generations of hoodoo practitioners. It is to say that they are foolish, that they are lazy, that they are not very well trained in their hoodoo, that they're not very spiritual, that they're disconnected, and they're not. Because they were still practicing hoodoo for their communities, for their families, for themselves. Because they were still trying to use hoodoo for all the different things that hoodoo is used for. The gathering of luck, the protection from uh, uh, uncontrolled forces, whether it be nature or whether it be the power politic, etc. And when you say that, oh, well, if you're not on a farm, or God forbid you're not on a plantation, what a shocking insult that is, or you're not out in the swamp, or you're not out in the woods, or you're not, you know, growing a, a vital garden, uh, you know, we're talking about a big garden, too, we're not talking about, you know, a few little plants or a few little herbs, no, a real garden, if you don't have a goat, and a chicken, and a cow, you know, then you're not a real, you're not really doing hoodoo. That That's a huge slap in the face. You, you just spit on graveyards full of people in Baltimore, in Chicago, in New York, in Oakland, in Miami, you know, it, 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 even in Atlanta, okay, even in Memphis, certainly in New Orleans. I mean, you've just said, fuck all of you. You don't know anything. And then there's yet another insult to add to that injury, which is a portrayal of people who primarily practice hoodoo in a purely urban environment as being gangsterific. They're criminals. They're gangsters. It's all about the numbers. It's all about gambling. It's all about the sporting life. It's all about prostitution, etc. And that's just not true. <clears throat> and you're hearing that from the horse's mouth. I'm the guy that wrote the book about the sporting life, pal. Certainly, there was work done about the numbers, about gambling, about the sporting life, about prostitution, etc. But that work had been done in the rural environment as well. Did you think there was no gambling going on in juke joints? Did you think there was no gambling going on in the country? Did you think there was no prostitution in the country? R really? Come on. I mean, come on. And so what started to develop is this, this just terrible attitude that it must be one or the other. You don't see so much the other. You see a lot of the one. You see a lot of hoodoo must be countrified. Hoodoo must be rural. Hoodoo must be practiced here and in this way and from people who live this life. 
you don't see many people saying, oh, no, it has to be practiced in a rural environment, uh, urban environment. Oh, it has to be practiced in the city. You don't see very much of that. Uh, I'm sure there's some jackanapes saying that someplace, but you don't really hear it. You don't really see it. But this countrification, this down-home yeehawism is rife in hoodoo, and it's just foolish. Let me tell you that for many decades, for generations, the urban candle shop was the fundamental backbone of hoodoo. I'm sorry if you don't like that. I'm sorry if you think that every candle shop that sold pre-made oils, pre-dressed candles, etc., was some sort of hucksterific bullshit. That's your prerogative. You can run off and say that. That you know, be my guest. This is America. You can do whatever you want in America, but it's just not true. And you're falling into a very, very dangerous. You're falling into a place where you're starting to creep towards the camp that says that all hoodoo is chicanery, hucksterism, spookism. It's all bullshit. It's all just money-grubbing crap. And you're supporting an idea that African Americans practicing hoodoo, living in rural environments, not they came from the farm and they moved to Chicago. They were born in Chicago. Were foolish. Were stupid. Didn't quite know their hoodoo. And you're putting down everybody who currently lives in a rural, excuse me, an urban environment who's practicing hoodoo. And it is my opinion, this is not a fact, folks, this is an opinion right now, that this is done at the behest of a goal. This is done to profit an idea, whatever that idea may be. Normally it's to aggrandize one particular practitioner. Sometimes it's to aggrandize some academic's theory. You see that quite a bit. And it really is has no place in hoodoo, in my opinion. It just has no place. Hoodoo is rural. Hoodoo is urban. And I got news for you, kiddies. Hoodoo is suburban as well. Okay? That's just the way it is. And when you start to try, take this knife and try to cut it up and divide it up and say, oh, you know, I don't think really that's really, you know, it's not real. Well, you're, again, you're just spitting, not only on the people that are doing it now, which certainly there's some sort of impetus to spit on who's doing it now, whether it be uh, economic competition, could it be economic competition, or whether it be to aggrandize some sort of social or academic theorem or to uh, uh, alleviate some sort of racial idea on either side of the argument, uh, okay, fine. But you're also spitting on all the people who did it before. You're, you're putting them down. And some of this comes from a confusion. And the confusion is this. There are many people who practice hoodoo who either come from a rural environment 
or currently live and enjoy being in a rural environment because that's their choice. That They want to be a part of that. That's who they are. Okay? Don't get it twisted. Don't assume that just because there are people involved in hoodoo and some fantastic people involved in hoodoo who are a part of a more rural environment rather than a suburban or urban environment, that that's the way it has to be. No, that's the way it is for them. And they're happy to help you out with some of those little life skills that somehow maybe you may have missed out on, like threading an eagle or knowing how long to let bread rise or just making a good cup of coffee without a coffee maker. Uh, don't get it twisted up. There are people who live, who have been brought up, and who are solely of the rural, ex- excuse me, the urban experience, the urban experience, who are just as fine practitioners. And there are people who buy every goddamn product they'll ever use. They buy their candles, they buy their herbs, they buy their roots, they buy their oils, they buy everything from somebody else who you would be foolish to say they don't know what they're doing. So this week, I encourage you, at the end of this pontification, don't be so hot, okay, to, uh, you know, throw the baby out with the bathwater. Hoodoo is alive and well in the city, and hoodoo is alive and well in the country. And I got news for you. Hoodoo is alive and well in the suburbs, and hoodoo comes by those who go out and wildcraft every goddamn thing that they ever touch, and hoodoo comes from those that buy it off a shelf, and the proof of the tasting is – the proof of the pudding is in the tasting. So that's been our little discussion tonight of the the city and – the country so you know just uh, think about the city a little bit this week a boy's born in hot Mississippi surrounded by for what it is a Strong, moving in the right direction, living just 
And the other half goes to Christy XP. She got that. That is living for the city. And then we're gonna give a, a we're gonna give a brownie out to Troll Towelhead too, just because he did in fact type them all together at the same time. And that was the rarely heard, very long seven minute twenty four second full version. That's the LP version of Living for the City by Stevie Wonder, a song in which Mr. Wonder was indeed, like all of us here at the LMC Radio Network, trying 
to send out a signal. What's that signal? Why, that's the LMC Radio Network on the air! The LMC Radio Network, broadcasting around the globe, bringing news, information, education, and entertainment to all. It's the LMC Radio Network in the vanguard! LMC Radio Network is a media alliance whose excellent shows include The Lucky Mojo Hoodoo Root Work Hour, hosted by Catherine Ironwood and Kajaman Ali, Sundays 3 to 4.30. Candela's Corner, starring Candela Cambisa, Mondays 5 to 7. The Crystal Silence League Hour, hosted by John St. Germain, Tuesdays 5 to 6. In the Streets, with Beverly Smith, Tuesdays 6 to 7. On Sacred Ground, with Kai Armand, Wednesdays 5 to 7. The Now You Know Show, with Professor Charles Porterfield, Thursdays 6 to 7.30. And Liquid Libations, with Andrea Weston, Saturdays 5 to 7. All time specific, at 3 hours for Eastern. Sponsored by the Lucky Mojo Curio Company in Forestville, California. And online at luckymojo.com. Thank you, Troll Towel Head Chief Engineer here at the LMC Radio Network for that update of our shows each and every week. And I am proud to announce that Liquid Libations will be coming back to the air very soon with our own Andrea Weston. And next month, the big, big month of August, keep your eyes peeled for a brand new show to be premiering on the LMC Radio Network on Fridays. Oh, yes, on Fridays. And you may ask yourself, you know, I love the LMC Radio Network. I listen to Candela's Corner. I listen to uh, the Now You Know show. I listen to In the Streets. I listen to the Crystal Silence League. Every Sunday, I listen to the Lucky Mojo Hoodoo Root Workout. Who do I have to thank for all of these wonderful shows on this wonderful network. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I'll tell you who. Actually, I'll let a good friend of mine and yours, our own from former host of Monster Chiller Horror Theater on KTVT right here in Dallas, Texas. That's right. I'll let the one and only Count Goulash tell you who's responsible. Oh, oh, it is I, Count Goulash, here to talk to you, my friends, once again about the Lucky Mojo Curio Company of 6632 Covey Road, Forestville, California. That's right, my friends. Did you know that Lucky Mojo is both an online magical stop shop and a real magical store that you can visit? Oh, yes, you can. You can go there in person. Bring the kitties along. We love when you bring the children with you because they will enjoy looking at the fantastic, the amazing, and the much-seen and exhibited Mother Railroad right there. And you can watch, you can watch the trains, my friends. Yes, you can watch the trains as they go around and around and around, and around, and around, leading you deeper and deeper into hypnotic sleep until you can only hear my voice, my voice speaking to you about 
the Rocky Mojo Curio Company of 6632 Covey Road, Forestville, California. They carry a full line of handmade spiritual supplies, including occult oils, incense, powders, candles, herbs, mojo bags, spiritual soaps, books, and spell kits. For those who cast magic spells, love spells, money spells, and protection spells in the African-American voodoo, pagan magic, and other witchcraft traditions. Who am I talking about? I'm talking about the Lakimojo Curio Company of 6632 Covey Road, Forestville, California. While you're there, why not stop and visit the world's smallest church? That's the Missionary Independent Spiritual Church. That's right. And you can go inside and take a few moments of quiet prayer and meditation before walking into the Lucky Mojo Curio Company and browsing through the idols, seeing thousands of items from all across the world. Where? At 6632 Covey Road, Forestville, California. Or online. Oh, yes, you can visit them online at www.luckymojo.com. And spend hours in the quiet seclusion of your inner sanctum beneath the bust of palace, browsing through page after page after page of all of their beautiful items available for you online and order them there. That's right. That's the Lucky Mojo Curio Company of 6632 Covey Road, Forestville, California, and online at www.luckymojo.com. Tell them Count Goulash sent you. <laughs> Good Lord. I mean, you know, I'm, it never gets easier. It's not like, you know, he's been doing this for us for what, guys? He's been, like six, seven months, you know? You'd think at some point it'd be easier to follow that. You know, you'd think I'd have, like, some sort of rhythm, and I'd just be like, hey, thank you, Cal Goulash. Hey, man, that's great. All right, uh, that's Cal Goulash, ladies and gentlemen. And I could just slide into it, but you can't. There's no scenery left. There's no oxygen in the room after he's done. I mean, fantastic, fantastic. Tough act to follow. Tough act to follow. And all I can follow it with is a little segment I like to call... Divination and you. Divination and you. This week, we're going to be talking about, well, we're going to be talking about touching things. We're going to be talking about holding things. We're going to talk about feeling things. We're going to be talking about psychometry. You know, that magic touch. You've got the magic touch. It makes me glow so much. Magic touch. Oh, when I feel your charm, it's like a fourth alarm. You make me thrill so much. You've got the magic touch.
much And then I felt your touch And now I've learned I can return Magic touch something 
that someone has had on them uh, quite a bit uh, that they have a connection to, uh, rather than say, you know, uh, oh, the you know the pin on the end of the chain at the bank. I don't know if they still have those, but they used to. And uh, so there you go. We're talking more along the lines of someone's wedding ring, uh, someone's watch, uh, a picture of someone, a beloved doll, uh, something that has had a not only emotional context and contact for an individual, but also a physical contact with them. As opposed to, say, just something that's come, you know, oh, it came right out of the press, as it were. You know, we minted a coin. Boom. A tank. We minted a coin in here. Read this coin. Well, you're not going to get much off it. As opposed to, you know, Grandpa's uh, lucky 50-cent piece that he carried his whole life. Now, objects can be read and information received through the act of psychometry. Uh, primarily, again, by someone taking them and holding them, and they have touch contact with them. That's how psychometry works. They hold them in their hands, and some people will enter a mm, medianistic or meditative state. Others won't. The, The impressions will simply come onto them from the object. And the important thing that you might need to know here is that psychometry is very different from, say, mediumship, in that the information that is brought, that comes to the reader, does not place through the intercession of spirits, earthbound or otherwise, angels, or other uh, non-physical entities. However, Uh, Some spirit mediums do utilize psychometry of personal objects to contact a spirit of the dead who once owned or handled the objects. And you see this quite commonly among those who uh, work in the field of uh, ancestor veneration, as is practiced in the African-American traditions. So here they're using uh, the object to help contact the spirit. But the pure psychometrist does not receive their impressions from the object via a spirit. They receive them from the item. The item is usually held in the hand or hands of the reader. Uh, Some cases you will see a psychometrist hold the object against their forehead (laughs) Occasionally, some will even hold it against an ear or an eye, and information is obtained uh, by reading of the objects. Physical touch, therefore, is obviously required uh, to produce this result. So if you want to work with a psychometrist uh, who doesn't live close to you, uh, you're going to have to find some way to get an item to them and get it back to you. Hopefully you would want to have your items back. Items that are touched less or were not never carried or never handled uh, by the person can be read, of course, um, but 
again, the readings don't normally give as much of a reading unless those items are sometimes associated with um, a particularly emotional acts. So, in other words, uh, oh, let's put it this way, <coughs> a uh, funeral director doesn't drive his hearse everywhere to go to the grocery store, etc. But certainly, you could get psychometric reading off of, say, the steering wheel of that hearse that could include information about the funeral home director. Uh, because of this, psychometrists have been used before uh, in police investigations where the objects that are being read are objects either belonging to the victim or murder weapons. Again, the murder weapon is not necessarily something the murderer carried with them and handled a great deal, but they did handle it during the dread act, and therefore impressions will be left on that. There is a rather famous story of a rather well-known psychometrist who was left in quite a disturbed state after handling the axe head that had been used or reportedly used in the uh, Borden murders, for which you will know Lucy Borden. However, a psychometrist can also get a reading off of a photograph or a snapshot. Uh, of an individual. And photographic uh, psychometry is employed uh, primarily in situations uh, where you may not have other items that relate. You have a picture of grandpa, but you don't have anything else that belonged to grandpa. And the items and the objects that psychometrists prefer to use varies from psychometrist to psychometrist. And this also includes the reading of a name written on paper. And this, you should understand, is different. It may resemble handwriting analysis or graphology, but it is actually different because a name is written out, but we're not really, they're not, the psychometrist is not really reading or analyzing the handwriting of the name. They are reading the impression left behind by the individual uh, who has written the name. So this is a fascinating field of divination, and it can bring about startling results. And I encourage you to take a little time this week and go out and look into psychometry. See what you think about it and see if you yourself may have some gift for it that you may then be able to develop or find a skilled teacher who may be able to help you develop a gift that you may have that you don't know quite how to access. Hopefully someday, Catherine Ironwood and Reverend John St. Germain will write a fantastic 96-page book on psychometry, and, and the rest of you need to stay out of my way because I'm going to be at the front of the line to get it signed. Uh, I would love to see such a book. I, uh, there are not a, there are some good books on psychometry, but there's um, not too many. I would love to see such a book. So take a little bit of time this week and look into it. Up next, we're going to go into the kitchen and we're going to talk about, well, see, I talked to Johnny about this. I, I told Johnny when he was setting up the music for the show, because he's the one that puts all these, you know, 
music bits together for me. I give him the list, and he goes in and programs it so we can play it on cue. <clears throat> and I tried to explain to Johnny. I tried to explain to Johnny very clearly, very succinctly, this was not going to be about spearmint, that this was not going to be about mint, that this was not going to be about incense, that this was not going to be about peppermints, that in fact it was going to be about wintergreen. But we just take what we can get, I guess. to Gabriel Swain. That was indeed the strawberry alarm clock with incense and peppermints. And yes, yes, I was fruging here in, in the studio while it was playing. I was in the studio doing the fruit. You taught me well, Mom. Tonight in the kitchen, we're going to be talking about wintergreen. Wintergreen is wonderful. I, I just, I adore 
wintergreen. And there are quite a number of people that I know who enjoy it. They enjoy it not only as a food additive, as an as a as a as an herb, as a, a culinary uh, herb. They enjoy it in all sorts of products, and I know quite a number of people who find great enjoyment and efficacy in using it in their spiritual work. And wintergreen primarily draws money and good luck and aids in sexual matters. Hey, you know, I guess maybe the strawberry alarm clock wasn't that far off. A few of the ways that you can use wintergreen is that wintergreen can be used for success for your children. To do this, you bathe your children in wintergreen leaf tea, and if you do so, they will have money and luck throughout their lives. So, mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, get your butt out there, get the wintergreen, make some wintergreen leaf tea, and start bathing them babies, okay? Because trust me, they're all going to need money and luck in their lives in this here world. I said that it wasn't going – we weren't going to talk about incense. I told a lie because wintergreen makes an excellent gambler's gambler's incense. And to make this, you would burn wintergreen along with cloves, cinnamon, camphor, and a money-drawing incense to smoke a place where gambling is going to occur, such as a gambling hall, but – You could also do it for a card room or any other such place. For a quick substitute, you can drip wintergreen oil, clove oil, and cinnamon oil onto a hot light bulb. Remember how earlier I was talking about rural and urban and all of this and all of that? How many people outside of myself and and Catherine and Gabrielle need not answer? Remember, you know, when you put a little oil a little, you know, a little something onto the light bulb. Remember, because the light bulbs got hot. These were, these were, these weren't fluorescent bulbs. These were, these were those incandescent, you know, with a tungsten coil in it. They got hot, and you could put things on to the light bulb to scent a room, often a love nest. But in this case, it would be a place where gambling is going to go. On And it would be wintergreen oil, clove oil, and cinnamon oil. And again, you're not going to be pouring it on, kids. We're talking about a drop drop. And then finally, I can tell you that also wintergreen makes an excellent lucky hand rub, primarily for crap shooting for playing of dice. And to do this, you would mix the oil of wintergreen, oil of rose, and oil of bergamot into olive oil, and you would rub your hands before you play. Once again, that would be oil of wintergreen, oil of rose, and oil of bergamot into olive oil and use it as a hand rub for craps, for shooting craps, for shooting dice. It is a delightful and wonderful herb and I, I encourage you to go out this week and get some, smell it, taste it, use it. It has wonderful effect. And as I say, I know many, many people who use it for spiritual work, who enjoy it and its results greatly. Our segment in the kitchen comes to us not only from our own knowledge, but also from 
Hoodoo Herb and Root Magic, a Materia Magica of African American Conjure by Miss Catherine Ironward, and we thank her for its use and inclusion in the show each and every week. Also, our Divination and You segment comes to us, again, from our own knowledge and also all the fine and wonderful people at the Association of Independent Readers and Rootworkers. Why not check them out online? And we thank them all for its use in the show every week. Well, folks, I'm still recovering from getting sick, so I'm going to wrap it up and go get me some dinner. And... I wish you well. It's been a wonderful night, and I will see you here again next week when you'll get to find out who's somebody else that influenced me in my life. I know you're just just sitting there with bated breath waiting to know. But I guess I guess this is it. I mean, I guess this is the end. Ah, this is not the end. Uh, it is not even the beginning of the end. Uh, but it is perhaps the end of the beginning. I leave Fort Worth, Texas, and go to Texarkana, and double back to Fort Worth. I'm on down to Dallas to call the kitty, coming through the territory in Kansas City, and Kansas City, St. Louis, and St. Louis, Chicago. I'm on my way to Oh.